0: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I want to discuss two things, pride and freedom. When we celebrate our pride, when we exercise our rights to behave as we wish, do we get more freedom or less? Another way to ask the question is this, do prideful people ever become a more free country. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you so much for listening into the show. Okay, yesterday you know I spent the entire show talking about pride. I reminded you that pride has been cited as one of the seven deadly sins for centuries, about 1,500 years or more to be exact. Well, Actually, you could go back even before that, but I'm actually citing the codification of the seven deadly sins, which was officially done by Pope Gregory. Again, if my memory is correct, that was in the 600s. So pride has been considered sinful by the church because of biblical teachings for essentially forever. But today we have an entire month dedicated to the celebration of pride. And doesn't that strike you as a bit curious? Why are we celebrating something that for hundreds and hundreds of years, a century and a half, has been considered a deadly sin? Why are we celebrating it when we should be confessing it? And I spent a lot of time talking about that on yesterday's show. Well, today I'd like to further that conversation, that discussion, by suggesting that pride cometh before a fall. And that if we become a prideful people, if we're celebrating pride, we're going to suffer the consequences of that sinful attitude, that sinful behavior, and the consequences will be what always happens as the result of engaging in sin, and that's less freedom rather than more. Because as you watch these pride parades, as you watch our entire nation celebrating pride, as you watch company after company google amazon facebook twitter post their rainbow flag emojis celebrating pride month essentially what they're saying is we will live as we want we want the freedom to behave any way we want to behave and we're going to demand that other people actually actually identify with us, we're going to demand, we're going to require them to accept our subjective identity claims, that we have the freedom to be anything we want to be, to do anything we want to do. And nobody, especially the church and you prudish Christians, nobody has the right to tell us to behave or to be different. That's really what Pride Month is about, isn't it? The ultimate expression of human freedom. But here's the question. At the end of it, when we become prideful and say, we're going to do what we want to do, thank you. We don't want any restrictions upon us. We're going to exercise our sexual liberty, our personal freedoms. And nobody, nobody has the right to tell us to do differently. We're going to discard all of those old moral boundaries. When, when a culture does that, does that culture ultimately become more free or less? That's today's question. I'm Dr. Ever Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, what I'm trying to do right now is set up the context for the rest of the show to discuss the issue of pride as it relates to freedom. And that when we become proud, we think we're grasping more freedom when in fact we're not. When, when we commit the sin, the deadly sin of pride, we set ourselves up for the fall. A fall into more bondage, more slavery, more restrictions, more consequences that we don't like. When, when we do that, we suffer We suffer greatly, but those people around us do likewise. Not only do we lose our own personal freedoms as the result of being proud and prideful, but so do those people that are impacted by our decisions. They suffer the consequences. They lose life and liberty. They lose their happiness, as do we. It's the paradox of discipline and freedom. Freedom and Fences, Liberty and Law, that I've talked about over and over again on this show. Uh, Voltaire once said that it is difficult to free fools from the chains they revere. Now I want you to think of that quote as I rattle off my personal views on this. And not just personal views, I'm going to ground those views in Scripture. I'm going to ground those views in the teachings of history those people that have preceded us, those people that have tried to build some fences around our culture so that we could be free within those fences, but we pridefully go out and tear those fences down, thinking that we've been too restricted by those boundaries, and the consequences are we end up losing life and liberty, and so do the people around us because of our arrogance, because of our pride. All right, that's that's the point I'm going to drive home. In the following minutes. Again, Voltaire, it is difficult to free fools from the chains they revere. Now, freedom can be deceptive. It can be very deceiving. Or maybe a better way to say it, the appearances of freedom can be deceiving. Think of it this way, when you drive through the countryside, and you see a beautiful horse, outstanding, in the field, at a ranch, surrounded by fence, does he seem free? Does that horse seem to be free as he's standing out there grazing? When you walk through a neighborhood and hear a dog barking on the other side of the privacy fence, does that dog seem to be free? Or when you pass a school during recess and you see children, you hear the children playing within the fenced-in playground, here's the question, are those children free? Uh, I'll ask it one other way, same, same analogy, I'm just asking it in different ways. When you see a toddler playing with blocks in his playpen, is that toddler free? When, when you look down at your wedding ring, on your, on your finger? Or you see someone else's wedding ring. Does that wedding ring represent freedom or bondage? But ask yourself these questions. Every one of these scenarios implied a boundary, a restriction, a rule, if you will. All of these examples that I've just cited suggest the opposite of freedom, don't they? All of these examples... Or of animals or of people who are confined in one way or another everything i just mentioned everything i just rattled off at least at first blush seems to be an anecdote where your options are limited and someone else or something is confined confined within these boundaries within this fence within this within these rules So, here's my point. An open yard appears to give the dog more liberty. A playground with no fence appears to give the children more freedom. Um, You can suggest that that horse out in the pasture would be totally free if you just tear down all the fences and let him run and go where he wants to go. But, as I've told you before, this is a paradox, because true freedom is often different than the way it appears. If someone asked you who the one person was who most influenced your values and your ideals, who would you, who would you say that is? Well, I've shared with you before the person who has most influenced the values and ideals of America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, the person who has most influenced, and this is proven, we we can go back and prove it, the person most cited in the founding documents of the United States of America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, the nation that has the statue of liberty welcoming people to its shores, the person most cited, is the person who wrote the Ten Commandments, Moses. I've shared with you before that the book, America's Prophet, written by Bruce Feeler, says that when research was done, that the person cited most often by our founding fathers was not Locke, was not Montesquieu, was not Hume. The person most cited was Moses. In fact, Moses was cited more often than all of these other classic authors combined. There was research done in 1973, says Feeler. The research was done by Donald Lutz and Charles Heineman. They decided to go back and do a comprehensive survey of American rhetoric during the founding era of our country, And they read all of the documents that were cataloged in the Library of Congress from 1760 to 1807. Can you imagine the Herculean task that was? They spent 10 years, and they covered 15,000 documents. And they wanted to basically just document who was cited more frequently. In those original documents, what Enlightenment thinkers, like I said, Montesquieu, Locke, Hume, Hobbes, were they cited more often? How about Plutarch and Cicero? Who won the grand prize? Who was the gold medal winner for being cited more frequently by George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson? And you know what they found? They found that Moses won. In fact, Moses was cited more often than all of the others combined. And then if you go into the post-founding era, you see that Moses continues to be cited by who? Abraham Lincoln cites Moses. Harriet Tubman cited Moses. I mean, my goodness, you even have Franklin Roosevelt, Lyndon Johnson, and Martin Luther King Jr. citing Moses as what? The context for freedom. Now, doesn't it seem a bit ironic that they go back, all of these people, our founding fathers as well as everybody up to Martin Luther King Jr., they keep citing Moses as the context for their freedom when Moses is the guy that gave us the laws, the rules, the restrictions on how to live and curtail, control your freedoms to some extent. Moses is the 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 giver of the law right so why are we talking about him in the context of human freedom well here's the answer and we've talked about it before it's the paradox of discipline and freedom it's it's the <laughs> It's the lesson that G.K. Chesterton tells us when I've told you before, when you get rid of the big laws of God, you don't get liberty, but rather thousands upon thousands of little laws that rush in to fill the vacuum. In other words, if we refuse to live by the ten simple laws given to us by God via Moses, and frankly, Jesus narrowed it down to even fewer than ten. Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments in just two. He didn't discard the Ten Commandments. He said, I'll summarize them for you. I'll give you two laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And in this you have fulfilled all of the commandments. So if we refuse to live by the Ten or the Two, we get reams upon reams of little laws imposed upon us by the government and arrogant oligarchs in places like Washington, D.C., and San Francisco, and New York City. Thousands upon thousands of little laws are made up by these smarter-than-thou folks who think they know better about how we should live our lives than Moses or Jesus or you or me. So, proof? Now they're telling us how to use the bathroom and what pronouns we have to use in order to retain our jobs, retain our liberty. Okay, We're going to give you more and more laws, stacks of them. We're going to pretend that they make you more and more free. This isn't the way it works. This isn't freedom. It's fascism. They're using the fascists. They're bundling together thousands upon thousands of little laws, and they're using that fascist, that bundled together group of sticks to crush us. Remember what I told you before. A fascist was a Roman bundle of sticks was bound together so tightly that it couldn't be broken and it's out of that that we get the word fascism A fascist represents the bond the strength of forced commonality you will be one of us you will look like us you will be bound together with us we will restrict you with these with these cords if you try to free yourself from the fascist we will use it to crush you it's exactly where we are today but we do so we 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 crush each other while pretending that we're marching for freedom pride goeth before the fall as as we celebrate pride we're actually enslaving ourselves more and more to the power of the fascist. You know, Berkeley, for example, fancies itself as the birthplace of the free speech movement. That's its unofficial motto, right? But look at it. Look at Berkeley. Today you see the exact opposite of free speech. Under the guise of pride, while the students celebrate their sexual liberty, they're forcing everyone else to bow in submission to their personal gods of identity, subjective identity claims. If you don't agree to call me what I've decided I deserve to be called, if you don't celebrate my personal sexual choices, you are verboten, you will be expelled, you will be silenced, you will have no freedom on this campus. It's the opposite. Of free speech. It's ideological fascism. It, you've seen it. Students and faculty who don't believe as this group of sexual fascists believe, this prideful group, this arrogant group that struts the campus. If, if somebody dares to question them, you will be expelled. This is not an open and robust exchange of different points of view. This is forced compliance. Like I said, it's ideological fascism. And you're seeing it from Berkeley to Brown and everywhere in between. The rulers of the ivory tower have discarded truth in favor of tyranny. They've gotten rid of the fences, thinking that that's giving them more freedom. But what happens? They ultimately become ruled by the gang. Uh, The rule of law is replaced by the rule of the gang. Or even worse, the tyrant, the despot. When you have no objective definition of what's true and beautiful and good, then that opens the floodgates for someone to come along, the gang to come along and say, we'll tell you what we believe is true and beautiful and good. There's no such thing. All of these are subjective claims. How dare you try to impose your views or even discuss your views of truth and beauty and goodness around us? We we refuse to let you do so. Is that freedom? No, it's the opposite. So just like ignoring Moses and his 10 simple laws leads to less freedom rather than more even more so will ignoring the one who said you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free you ignore Moses and you're going to get you're going to get fascism rather than freedom if you ignore Jesus you're not going to be set free you're going to find yourself in bondage as we pridefully march through our streets. We we act like our goal is freedom, but we're essentially breaking down the moral and spiritual fences that defined and protected that freedom in the first place. And we thought we were going to get more liberty when we discarded the teachings, the teachings of the giver of the law and the giver of life. And what we've got instead is a bunch of ideological wolves who are having us for lunch. This isn't freedom, people. This isn't freedom. I've told you before about what I call the lesson of blue. I had a black Labrador once. We named her blue for a variety of different reasons, but... One of them went back to what I believe was the 1972 song by Lobo. Me and you and a dog named Boo traveling and living off the land. Me and you and a dog named Boo, how I love being a free man. Uh, That story goes like this. You know, as I raised our black Labrador named Blue, who I... (laughs) <laughs> miss misnamed because I thought Lobo was saying Blue, not Boo. and Therefore, I named my black dog Blue uh, as a distraction, a rabbit trail. Somewhat humorous, I suppose. But I learned something by watching Blue. It was the paradox of freedom and fences, liberty and law. It was the paradox of discipline and freedom. If, if I allowed Blue to just remain prideful her whole life to ignore me, to assume that she would define the boundaries rather than her master, then if I loved Blue, I had to do what? I had to put her in a pen. I had to keep her on a leash. I had to chain her in the backyard. I, I had to confine her more and more as the result of her pride, her refusal to obey. But if Blue was taught... To obey the master, if Blue was taught that she wasn't God, if you will, and that I was, if Blue understood and accepted that I defined the boundaries and that she didn't, then the result was she could be let off of the leash, I didn't have to chain her in the backyard, and I didn't have to keep her in a kennel or a pen. Essentially, the fences around the backyard could be torn down. Because now blue could enjoy the entor- entire property without me yelling at her, without me haranguing her. she could run the total property, everything that I owned, everything that I had given her was hers to enjoy without many restrictions at all because she was disciplined to live within those boundaries. She enjoyed the maximum amount of freedom that a dog could enjoy because she honored the rules. But again, if she refused to do that because of her pride, her arrogance, her her desire to ignore the fences, ignore the boundaries, then I had to construct more and more boundaries around her, a higher fence. I had to make more rules. It's the paradox of liberty and law. The, The laws could be few and far between if she would obey me in humility, but the laws had to be increased over and over again and enforced more stringently and harshly if she, in her pride, rose up against me. Why? Because I loved her, and I didn't want her to run out into the road and get killed. Or I didn't want her to run away and end up in the hands of somebody who was harsh and mean and cruel to animals. I didn't want to even be thinking about the loss of our dog, and who has her now? Is it somebody that abuses animals, doesn't feed them, doesn't water them? Somebody that literally chains them in the backyard for the rest of their lives, and she'll never enjoy being the animal, being the dog that she was created to be. The lesson of Blue is this. If you want more liberty, you better honor the master's laws. If you want freedom, then pay attention to his fences and through your obedience through your humility through through setting your your own desires aside and giving yourself over in service to somebody that knows something a little bit more about life about liberty about happiness purpose by setting yourself aside by becoming second and making God first, and his ways your first thing, rather than your own ways, by doing that you actually become more free. It's it's irrefutable. And not only will you become more free, but those around you will, because they won't suffer the consequences of your arrogance, of your pride. Look at the Pride parades and the celebration of pride this month. And ask yourself this question. Are those who disagree with the uh, sexual morality or lack thereof of those who are marching in pride parades, are those who disagree gaining more freedom or losing a substantial measure of their freedom at the hands of the ideological fascists who are leading the parade? Uh, Are we enjoying a live and let live culture or is that the exact opposite of what this sexual nihilism subjective identity claims the rainbow cabal is 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 the end result more liberty and freedom for everyone or is culture becoming more and more restricted there's no question why should i be forced to use a pronoun that i consider to be inaccurate and that all of English history has taught me is inaccurate. Why should I be forced to butcher the English language just because somebody says I have to? Why should I be forced to teach my kids something about sexual morality that I consider to be unbiblical? Why should schools be threatened with punishment from the government, lack of funding? Uh, Why should they be in fear of losing their accreditation because they just want to teach what 2,000 years of Christianity has held to be true. You see what I'm saying right now? If you want more freedom, honor the fences of Moses and of Jesus himself, who is the ultimate truth, the ultimate, the ultimate giver of freedom. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.